the Across the Pod NFL podcast. It's time for another season preview of an NFL team, and this time it's a turn of the Cleveland Browns. That we've managed to agree a time, thankfully, the time difference caused a bit of an issue, but we are here, and that's the most important thing. So I'm here with Cleveland Browns fan, Dan, how are you? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Andy. During the summer, I know we are all over the place with our uh, plans and stuff, but it's always good to get there, get together and, you know, preview what should be a very exciting 2023 NFL season. Definitely, definitely. And we will get into that in a minute, but I want to ask you, like we do with all our newcomers to the podcast, I like to find out why people support the teams they do. And from looking at your Twitter, you're not from Cleveland, you're, you live in New Jersey by the looks of it. So, how does the guy from New Jersey end up following the Cleveland Browns? It's actually a very funny story. So I grew up as a, a New York Giants fan, and um, I definitely became frustrated with the franchise during the uh, Jerry Reese and then eventually the David Gettleman era. And I, I was a big Odell fan. You know, all Giants fans were big Odell fans. He was the highlight of the team because the team wasn't that good during that time period, you know, post the two Super Bowl runs. And it was during the off season prior to the 2019 uh, season, um, the Odell trade rumors were swirling. And I remember being at work and, and like NFL network was like, you know, it's going to happen tonight. Odell's going to get traded tonight. And I was texting with a buddy from Chicago and he's like, he's like, do you think Odell's actually going to get moved? I'm like, if they, if they move Odell, he's like the face of the franchise right now. Like, and I was joking around with him. I said, if he, if he gets traded to the Cleveland Browns. I swear to God, I'll buy a Baker Mayfield jersey tonight and become a Browns fan. And and that's that's the start of it. I was a big Baker fan uh, from his days in Oklahoma. Um, obviously, that didn't work out, you know, on the Cleveland side of things. But I I stuck with the franchise because I didn't, I didn't want to be jumping ships every every two years. And um, I'm sure we'll get into talking about it, but my fandom was definitely put to test in the past uh, past 16 months or so when it comes to uh, Cleveland. So have you got the Baker jersey with you? I, I, I can see Noddy knew someone in a frame behind you, but where's where's the Baker jersey? You, you know, Baker, <laughs> Baker jersey is in the closet. Um, it's, it's, it's behind the Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Cleveland Browns jersey. And so right now I'm down to uh, Miles Garrett. And um, I, I, I'll say right now, I swear to God, if Garrett gets traded, <laughs> that might be another jump ship moment for me. <laughs> um, and um, albeit probably a shorter lifespan of fandom compared to other fans you've had, but in terms of favorite memories, what sticks out for you as a fan of the Browns? It's uh, it's easily going to be the uh, playoff game against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, that. 2020 season was pretty special um after the disaster 2019 expectations weren't super high and you know it was just kind of fun you know we didn't expect to win every week and you know we racked off a bunch of wins the team was fun to watch I mean I remember that Titans game that year and Baker threw I think four touchdowns in the first half including one to an offensive tackle so it was just a very fun team to watch and uh it was first time making the playoffs in forever basically over 20 years and going into that game it was kind of like a, i'm just happy to be here type of thing i know i like my brother came over to watch the game and i didn't have any expectations to be honestly even competitive i was like you know we made the playoffs that's way better than we thought we were going to do for that season but when that first ball sailed over ben roethlisberger's head and we recovered it for a touchdown it's you know the 
the tingle started happening. And um, I always tell people, because we were up at one point, I think it was like 24-7 at halftime. My brother's like, oh, you know, you got this. Like, what are we going to do for next week against Kansas City? I'm like, hold up. I've been a Browns fan long enough to know that the rug is about to be pulled out from underneath us. You know, and Ben's a veteran quarterback. You can't can't write off his veterans. And, you know, thankfully, we, we pulled out the win, and that was probably the best live game I've watched in a in a very long time. I do remember that game very well. Uh, of course, that was the COVID season, and that was a point where um, I was sort of, I did lose a job throughout the, the, the sort of pandemic, and I was basically unemployed for about four months. So it was basically from, it was from the week the NFL season started, and I got the job about the week before the AC Championship game, or NFC Championship game. So I, had, I was basically unemployed for the entire of that season. So, especially a season where you couldn't go out and see friends, that season always sort of resonates with me because it was the the, the one year where like I literally, I mean, even now, like thankfully I've now got NFL Game Pass, so I get to watch every week. But it was the first real season where you know I actually watched every single game. I you know when I was back before then, I'd have to miss some games if it was an early morning game. And you know, and stuff like that. I wouldn't have the time to watch it the next day without knowing the result. But that season particularly was amazing because nothing else to do, and it was literally every game I was watching. I'd watch it the next morning, recorded before I had game passes was as well. So yeah, that was amazing for me. And ever since then, really, it's not been anything different. I've managed to to find a commitment, thankfully through being in university and uh, having a job where I can work from home. It, it meant it's now a lot easier too. So that sort of was the first think for me where I actually got to watch every single game in full without having to watch just the highlights. So yeah, that that game, that season particularly, I was fully behind the Browns. And I really was until um, a certain quarterback arrived at your guys' last uh, season. Um, now, speaking of incomings this season, the incomings for the Browns, these include the likes of, if I get the list up now, so you guys have added the likes of... Um, Josh Dobbs is the backup quarterback, Marquise Goodman, uh, Maurice Hurst Jr., uh, Joanne Thornhill. Um, and I do apologize, I've, maybe I've missed out some names, but other players like Chris Restry, Thakarius Keys, um, to name a few. Uh, and other players that have left um, include the likes of Chase Winovich, Greedy Williams, uh, Jesse James, Kareem Hunt, um, Jacoby Brissett as well, which I know a lot of fans were a bit sad about, and also Javion Clowney as well. And then the draft, um, so the draft incomings, uh, no real draft, no drafts at all until the second round. Um, obviously, a lot of that came through the fact of the Deshaun Watson trade. But your first pick came in number 74th overall with Cedric Tillman, the wide receiver from Tennessee, as well as the likes of Siaka. Ika, uh, defensive tackle, 98th overall, and then a fourth overall pick in Dewan Jones, offensive tackle out of Ohio State, so a local boy there, um, to name a few. So for you, Dan, what's your take been on the offseason as a whole in terms of the incomings, the outcomings, and the draft? Yeah, I think um, the offseason has been great for Cleveland, and the one addition that is going to make the biggest impact is not even a guy who wears pads for the teams. And that's going to be Jim Schwartz, our new defensive coordinator. Uh, Joe Woods ran the defense for the past three seasons. And to be honest, he was given a lot of talent to work with by the front office and didn't have a lot of results to show for it, whether it's a miscommunication issues in our defensive secondary, whether it's, you know, defensive linemen misaligned, you know, not, 
using the best of their abilities, depending on where they're going. So getting Joe Woods out of there and getting Jim Schwartz in, I think is the biggest upgrade we have made to this team so far. Um, quick story that I just like to share that shows kind of how incompetent Joe Woods was at his job. Uh, last year, the Patriots came into town and, you know, Belichick is a genius. So I was like, great. What, what game plan is he going to have for us? And um, Bill Belichick, uh, it's not talked about a lot, but he's actually one of the best defensive backs coaches in America. Him and Nick Saban are probably the two top guys as far as working with young defensive back talent. And he he saw the flaw in our defense. He saw that our defensive backs were not getting the reads in from the sidelines correctly. And there was a lot of miscommunication, a lot of wrong coverages, and a lot of, a lot of missed assignments. So multiple times when he, the Patriots had the ball, he would just line up trips on one side of the field, three wide receivers in a triangle formation, one side of the field. And he would tell Mac Jones, hey, Mac, do not snap the ball before five seconds are left on the play clock. And the reason he did that, because our corners were coached so badly that for the 20 seconds that the formation was held, they would just point fingers, yell, and try to move each other around because they didn't know what the coverage assignment was because Joe Woods wasn't the coach that he should have been. And then, you know, we lost that game and it was, I just laughed on my couch because I knew Belichick was going to have something unique and special. And, and I, I picked it out right away. Like, honestly, the first drive, I'm like, all right, so the trips is going to kill us all, um, all day. And listen, I, I, I work in the football industry. You know, I've been a fan of the NFL and football in general for most of my life. I am nowhere near a defensive coordinator. And the fact that I could have diagnosed that from the first drive and we did not adjust it's so Jim Schwartz is the biggest upgrade that the Cleveland Browns have received in the 2023 offseason so far. Jim's incredible because there are certain times that I'm watching, they're watching the Dolphins play, and there's sometimes where I, even I've thought of times where even I, there's been certain situations where even I think I could do a better job at times. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, there was the calling a screen pass in our end zone against the Raiders, a game we ended up losing um, an overtime and at certain times where you just think, how are these guys even getting paid? And I, I do think there's an element where they can overthink. I'm sure, you know, if you, if me or you went into an NFL field, suited up and became a coach for them, I'm sure they'd absolutely out-tactic both of us. But it, I think that is sometimes a thing. I think it's, it's a game of X and O, it's a game of statistics. And I do feel like we're seeing it more and more now with the increase in two-point conversions. I think people are, in a way, overthinking it at times now. I think people are... I think that's causing uh, causing a lot of brain fart, I think, with head coaches. And I think that sometimes, this is why people like Mike Tomlin are, are, are so good in there. Um, that's why he's never had a losing season, because he keeps it simple. He doesn't overthink it, whereas someone like John Horrible, for example, goes for a lot of twos and doesn't always work out. So I think, yeah, I think that's definitely a trend of NFL coaches. They are almost trying to get trying to be too clever these days, and I think it's not always always working out. Um but we have to mention it. Um, everyone probably listening knew it was coming. Deshaun Watson. Now he's a guy that had obviously last offseason was figure of a lot of um a lot of talk, mostly for negative reasons, I must admit. And obviously the Browns gave him a lot of guaranteed money. Um and we did we did we did our quarterback ranking episode uh, from 32 to 1, where we did in, in three parts. Um and you can find out if you listen back to where I put Deshaun Watson, and it was quite low down, because I just feel like his rookie year, and I'm I'm fully aware that um, it is a case where he hadn't been playing for basically a year and a half, you know. But you know, this is the guy that you gave up all that draft capital for. You, know, you gave all that guaranteed money for. I think the most guaranteed money for any quarterback, 
and he had, I think, more in the, I think he had seven touchdowns. I want to say it was nine interceptions or something like that. It was not the stat line was not great, and you watch a lot of games he's involved in, and the rest was clearly there to see. It, it was a very very poor season for him, but of course, I I do think also before the COVID before the whole thing happened off the field, for me he was top five quarterback easily. I think he was probably my favorite to watch in the NFL. I, I loved watching. I remember when he played in London as well. He was one of the best athletes I've seen actually physically live, but there isn't a guarantee he's going to come back to the players before. And you guys give up a lot of money for him and a lot of draft capital on the expectation that he's going to go out and deliver this. But where do you stand on the Sean Watson? Since we're not going to mention off the field stuff, because that's obvious, but since on the field, do you think we're going to get ever the the Sean Watson of old? Do you think this season with a full off season with him, no controversy, do you think we'll then see him get back to his Houston Texans days? Or is there any part of you that fears that potentially, you know, this could be a callback that will never recover from such a long time off the field? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people undersell what the effect of missing that much time uh, does to a player. Um, and the NFL is such a high level nowadays that you have to always be innovating, improving, and compete, you have to be at the top 1% of your game at all time. And to miss almost two full years and then try to come back at the back end of what was not a great season is, is a hard ask. And the other thing that I think gets lost for people that haven't paid attention to the Cleveland Browns and honestly, the AFC North as a whole last year was December football was not very good in the AFC North we got destroyed with weather games. Um, there was at least two games at home where it was freezing temperatures and the wind was 25 plus miles per hour gusting. Um, I'm not making excuses. I'm just setting up the situation for the stat line that a lot of people like to refer to. Any quarterback would have struggled in those weather conditions. And it's that weather, that weather's not going to change. You know, I, I'm from New Jersey. I'm not from Cleveland, but I talk to people in Cleveland and it's the same thing every single year as far as the weather goes. So I think a full off season learning the playbook and working with the offense and then also getting to him to see him out there in September and October, which are more prime months for a passing attack in Cleveland, Ohio, will quickly turn around the narrative that is based around Deshaun Watson right now, based on last year's stat line. So I, I'm very, not fully confident, very confident that we will see him return close to his 2020 form with the Houston Texans. And uh, we got to remember that was an MVP caliber season. And that 2020 Texans roster was not very good. Um, he, he really just put that team on his back to, uh, to, to drag them to as many wins as they saw that year. So I have a lot of confidence that we will see Deshaun make an argument to be back in the top 12 of NFL quarterbacks once the 2023 season's over. Yeah, I think you're right because it's, um, it is a what have you done for me lately. It's a very recently biased heavy league, um, as we were talking about in the Steelers episode we did last time. And, you know, we, we can't forget that he did have the most passing yards in the whole league in a four-win team for the Texans that had, had lost best receiver at the time in the league of the Sean in John J. Hopkins. So yeah, we, we certainly know what he's capable of. And I think what I thought he was great at in the NFL was being able to withstand hits and withstand those 
loads of times, not just the game in London I watched, but a lot of times you watch the Texans. I remember the Bills game in the wildcard round where he made that amazing play where he, he get because of the bad offensive line, he got hit so much. Pressure came to him so, so much times and he had so much pressure put on him by defensive players. And he'd always be able to withstand that. And I think that will, obviously, if he gets back to his best, that's what will help him going forward, his durability. Because I never really remember him being injured at all. Um, I only remember him really missing time was because of off-the-field stuff. So if you get him back to your best, I think you guys have to be confident for this season. But obviously, there is always that worry going into season. But of course, this is a team that is a stat with studs. And I think this is why if he is back to his best, you know, you guys could potentially be a dark horse because, you know, you've got the likes of, you mentioned Miles Garrett, of course, um, and obviously Nick Chubb on the offensive, on, on the offense, as well as the likes of Mari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Mari Cooper, for me, is very underrated. I think he gets a lot of, doesn't get near enough credit as he deserves. Um, so I think with, the, with those players around him, with a fairly good offensive line, with um, obviously now only one of the two, what was for a while the best one-two duo in the NFL running back wise in Cream Hunt and Nick Chubb. You still got Nick Chubb there. And that's really where I want to go on to the next point was the fact that this is a guy who I get I think I don't think he's quite as underrated as Mario Cooper, but I think certainly people overlook him and look at people talk about the best running backs in the league. You mentioned Christian McCaffrey, you mentioned Derek Henry, people who talking about Josh Jacob last year, but no one really seems to for me give Nick Chubb the credit he deserves. And I think that one thing I think could potentially help that is if he gets the rushing title this year. Now, do you think Nick Chubb is primed for a potential year where he is the leading rusher in the NFL? No. And okay, okay. I, I'm I'm sure most Cleveland Browns fans are very quick to say yes. Nick is a great runner. This offense is going to be amazing. He's going to lead the league in rushing yards. I like to bring up something um, a little bit more in-depth. And one of the reasons I love this franchise and its current state of affairs, uh, Andrew Berry and our, our general manager, he has revamped the front office to be very analytically driven. And they've even applied data analysis to, um, to recovery, workload, and sports management for their athletes. It's, um, it's kind of a, 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 I don't want to say it's like a secret, but Part of their game plan with Nick is to limit his workload because they've run enough analysis on him that he is most efficient when he receives between 19 and 23 carries per game. If you go back and you look at his game logs and his uh, rushing attempts, it usually falls between somewhere between 19 and 23. He potentially goes over 23 sometimes if it's a close game and we need him to carry it. But you'll notice in the following week, he'll go under the 19. So for example, let me just read off his carries. Let's go um, the back half of last season. So we had um, week eight against the Cincinnati Bengals. He had 23. You know, that's a ceiling of the number of carries. So next week against the Dolphins, he only had 11. Uh, I know that Dolphins game was pretty pretty terrible on our end. I'm sure you were happy watching that. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> um, so following week Buffalo 14, then week 12 was that big comeback win against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers at home. He had 26. We had to rely on him very heavily. So guess what? The next two weeks, 17-14. You see how there's a, a pattern building that mm -hmm. if he goes over that 23 the following week, they pull him back. They say, let's give Nick a little bit of a breather because this team has Super Bowl aspirations. 
And like I discussed, the AFC North is a bunch of cold weather, windy games in December. The team goes into the season knowing that December is the most important time for Nick Chubb to be performing at his best. And when he's at his best is he's running very efficiently, high yards per carry, high yards after contact. So for that reason, I don't think he's going to win the rushing title. And to be honest with you, I'm completely fine with that. I know Nick Chubb is probably a top three running back from a pure running standpoint in the league, maybe top four. Now that Bijan is, you know, in the league, I would say Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, and Bijan would probably be my top four pure runners right now. You know, players like Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, they add a little bit more in the passing game, but as far as pure runners go, those are my top four. And like I said, the front office has spent enough time determining that, Hey, if we want Nick to be the most efficient, when we need him the most at the end of the year and into the playoffs, we have to manage his workload for the entire season. So for that reason, I don't believe he's going to win the rushing title. But like I said, if we're making the playoffs, I, I really don't care if he doesn't win the rushing title at all. <laughs> that is interesting. I'm, I'm not full with that, to be honest, because obviously I was doing Scott Fishbowl today and yesterday, and I was thinking, do I take Josh Jacobs? Do I take Nick Chubb? And I think you're right. I think you make a fascinating point. I think as well, I don't blame them, to be honest, for doing that because we've seen how much the running back position is devalued from, you know, aren't they getting salary now and all that? It's way less than what it used to be. He's like Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, probably worked way too much than they should have been, really. And I think that that probably is in the back of the mind of, of the likes of Kevin Stefanski and even Andrew Berry, the fact that, you know, if you give him too many snaps all the time, then he's going to he's gonna get worse quicker and he's going to soon fall off a cliff. So, I, I think yeah, I can see why, and I think I can see why maybe he isn't going to get a rushing title. Um, but I think, you know, even without that, I think he'll still have a good season. I'm pretty sure he'll still have the important season. I think that I do think with Watson's ability to on the, to use his feet, whether that may affect Chubb's, Chubb's um, sorry, Nick Chubb's uh, sort of reps as well. I think obviously he'll be using a lot, a bit like the Colts, Jonathan Taylor, with Richardson there, are they going to use him a lot more in the rushing attempts and then use Taylor less? I don't know. But yeah, it's certainly interesting to see what will happen with that. And without, obviously, without someone like Cream Hunt to fall back on if Nick Chubb is getting managed, it's interesting to see what they'll do with that. Um, but speaking of which, we are going to head to the final segment. Sorry, were you saying something then? I was going to say, uh, just to add to that, because you mentioned Kareem Hunt, um, I don't think the Browns are done adding to the running back room. Personally, I think we are going to see um, maybe not a Zeke Elliott, but somebody like a Leonard, Leonard Fournette possibly being signed um, in camp. Um, and the other thing to mention, uh, you're mentioning Scott Fishbowl and for, for fantasy football purposes is Elijah Moore was brought onto the team uh, from the New York Jets via trade this offseason. And reports at a minicamp are is he is receiving a lot of jet sweeps out of the backfield. So do not be surprised if Elijah Moore is a little bit of a breather um, when Nick Chubb needs some time off. Yeah, I, I that's one actually I did, I did. He was on my list and I forgot to mention his name. <laughs> um, yeah, the guy that, you know, hasn't really, I don't think he's been completely um, like a finished product yet in the NFL. I think he's been, had a mixed sort of time in the NFL. So I think if he has, if he doesn't do that, it could be like a Curtis Samuel sort of situation that the, you know, the the commanders have with him. And I think that we could see that. I think that would be good. I think everything you say about Nick Chubb, I think that will certainly help his his workload. And I think that that would be certainly a good thing 
um, for the, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, but we are going to head to our final segment, which is going to be our win-loss-tie section, which, if you aren't familiar, listen to the podcast with this section. I will give Dan every game in the season for the Browns, and each one he has to answer with win-loss-and-tie. And at the end, we should have a overall prediction for the record this year, which will compare amongst other fans that have been on the show so far. So we're going to get, get the pictures out right now. So week one, you face a home game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Win, loss, or tie? That's going to be a loss. Cleveland Browns and uh, week one, they don't go together. <laughs> Last week when we beat Carolina, I think it was our first week one win in 15-something years. Yeah, I remember a friend of the show, Paul Brown, was there. Um, and and yeah, I remember that. That was, also, that was seen as a vacant Makefield Bowl. You know, people were, were talking about that. And obviously that was um, a game that everyone was looking forward to. And was it, it was a field goal, wasn't it? That was um, the one that won it. Game-winning field goal by uh, our rookie kicker. Well, what story that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> the AFC North games continue in week two as you face a road trip to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep, that one is actually our Monday night football game, and that's going to be a win in Pittsburgh. Okay. Fair pick. We've said it before in other podcasts that I think you'd rather face the Steelers away from home in week two rather than week 17. I think you play in week 17, and it's almost like a death sentence. Um, week three is a home game against Tennessee Titans. Yep, that's going to be a battle of the two best running backs in the league, actually, Derrick Henry versus Nick Chubb, but we are going to come out on top of that one. Okay, and then week four is a home game against the uh, arch nemesis in the Baltimore Ravens. So I think that one's going to be a win. Um, Baltimore is a very scary team this year, um, but they brought in Todd Munkin as the new offensive coordinator. And with all the Lamar contract stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if they get off to a slow start as the offense still kind of acclimates itself to the new system. And then week five is a bye week, which is... I don't think no one to week five by week. That's the worst time to have it. Uh, we, and then I guess week six is not any better at home to the 49ers. Yeah, that one that one is a loss. Um, 49ers have maybe the best roster outside of the quarterback position in football right now. Yeah, I I think I think I'd I'd be on the verge to agree there. Um week seven is a road game against the Indianapolis Colts. I have us for a win. Um I don't know if Anthony Richardson is going to start week one for the Colts, but I have to imagine by week seven, he will be starting. So we will be getting a rookie quarterback in that game, I believe. Okay. And then week eight is a road game against the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle's a tough place to travel to 12th man they they come up, they show out. We're going to, we're going to take an L that week against the Seahawks. Okay. And then week nine is a home game against the Arizona Cardinals. That's going to be a, a, a win. Um, I was listening to one of your past episodes, and I do have to agree. I think the Cardinals might be the worst worst roster in the NFL right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not um not, not looking good for that. And <laughs> by this point, our Cardinals podcast will be released, I believe it's on the 12th of July. So as of tomorrow, when we're recording this right now, but it will be out obviously for a few weeks by the time this one comes out. Um, And then week 10 is another road game, this time against the Baltimore Ravens. Like I said earlier, the Ravens might take a couple of weeks to uh, to find their final form, but by this point they'll be they'll be cooking, and we're going to take an L um, in Baltimore. Okay, and in Week Eleven, a game I'm going to be actually going to uh, is a home game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
uh, wear, wear your black and gold that day because we're going to take a loss to the Steelers uh, that week. Um, I got a family friend actually who lives there, so um, I'll rep- I'll represent my um family friend <laughs> and, and cheer them on. <laughs> um, week twelve, it's a way a road game. You got two in a row. First one against the Denver Broncos. Yep. Um, that's a win for now. Um, that prediction can easily change though. I'm very interested to see what Sean Payton's going to do with that Broncos team this year. Yeah, me too. I, I, I as of now, I would have to label that as a win. Yeah, I think we'll. We'll know this year whether last year with Russell Wilson on the decline or whether it was just because of Hackett. I think we'll find out this year with that. Um, week 13 is a road game again, this time against the Los Angeles Rams. I have that as a win. Um, Rams late in the season, they might be hurting. They have a lot of rookies starting um, for them, and the rookie fatigue when you get to the second half of the NFL season is real. Just look at Seattle's offensive line last year and down, down the stretch. So I have us beating the Rams in L.A. Okay, and then week 14 is a home game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have this circled as maybe one of the best games of the year. I'm very much looking forward to watching this one. This one, I think we barely squeak out a win against what might be the league MVP this year in Trevor Lawrence. Okay, bold prediction. I like it. Um, Week 15 is a game against the Chicago Bears um, at home. The winds keep rolling in. We got a little win streak uh, building. Yeah, it's um it's a good run of form, I must admit, uh, with the three games left, which includes Christmas Eve at the Houston Texans. The story narrative around this one is going to be terrible for us in Houston. Oh God, yeah, Christmas I mean... Eve, like it's going it's it's going to be a, a terrible atmosphere to uh, to play in. But I, I think we're going to get the uh, the W that week, fortunately. So that means you're ten and five with just two games left. First one is against the New York Jets in Cleveland, your final home game of the season. Yep, and this one is also a Thursday night football, so expected to be a, a wacky, wacky game. Um, I think we take the W with that one at that point, but I expect it to be a game where both teams are playing for um, playoff scenarios. Yeah, and by week 18, it could be a case where this could be a game that decides whether you win the division or whether you make the playoffs or whether you get fifth or seventh seed, but you're on the road to the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, um, I think this will be for the division this game, actually. And I think we're going to lose. The Bengals will take the AFC North again, and uh, we will get into the playoffs as a wild card seed, probably fifth or sixth, depending on how the rest of the AFC plays out. Well, that means that at the end, you have an 11-6 record, which means out of our so far of 10 season predictions, you are the joint fourth most optimistic fan. Level one points with on to record with uh Javan who had Seattle with 11 and 6 only behind Shane Harris's 11 5 and 1 prediction for the Baltimore Ravens, Charlie Nelson 13 and 4 record for the Buffalo Bills, and Paul Hope's 14 and 3 record for his San Francisco 49ers. So do check those ones out if you haven't already, and don't forget to like and subscribe. But in the meantime, before we go, um, Dan. People listening on the po- on the podcast, whether Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whether they're watching on YouTube. How can they find you on social media and what kind of work can they expect from you? Yeah, so my um, my main gig in the football space is over at Dynasty Nerds, where we do a lot of fantasy football content. Um, I do draft analysis there, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. So you can find me on Twitter at Dan T underscore NFL. Um, and all my written work will be found at uh, DynastyNerds.com. And then I'm also a, a featured member of their uh, YouTube channel. So definitely check us out on all our platforms. Fantastic. So yeah, that is where you will end the podcast. So 
thank you once again, Dan, for coming on, first of all. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And I'm sure we'll get you on again at some point during the season to either review games or preview games coming up. But in the meantime, this has been the Across the Pod podcast. I've been Andy, this has been Dan, and we will see you guys for our next season preview, which will be carrying on the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals. See you guys then. Bye.